Today's reading from the Word of God comes from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 10, and the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 35. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen behind me, or listen as I read the scriptures. Once again, that's Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 10, and the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 35. Oh, will everyone stand? Thank you. <laughs> Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join kids, through, kids crew through the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord. From the book of Isaiah, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nation will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. And from the Gospel of Luke. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too, soul too. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Anchor Bay Church. My name is Bryn. I am one of the pastors here this morning. I am so glad to be worshiping with you this morning and diving into this passage. It is a really cool passage that I have never really studied before, so I'm excited to explore it with you this morning. But before we get into that, I just want to give us a moment of quiet. I know some of us are already kind of bustling around during the Advent season, and we just need a, a space to just calm and quiet our thoughts before the Lord and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us through God's word. So I'll invite you to do that and then we will open with a word of prayer after a moment. God, we come into your presence this morning and we entrust ourselves to the slow work that you do in our lives. We pray that you would teach us how to wait on you, how to wait expectantly instead of with expectation. We pray that you would teach us patience as we've been learning about all summer and fall and now into Advent. We ask that you would challenge and change us and give us hope in who you are. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the last few weeks, has anyone set up their Christmas tree? Lots of Christmas trees around. It's an exciting time of year. We had decided not to do a Christmas tree this year for the second year in a row because of these little friends who will not let us have a tree in our living room without knocking it down. We named them Tanta and Nissa, which are Scandinavian house elves that protect the home and make mischief. And they're aptly named because they make a lot of mischief. If we had named them Peace and Calm, they might have different dispositions as cats, but we named them Tanta and Nissa, so we can't have a Christmas tree. And all of our ornaments are going to stay upstairs again this year. There are lots of classic, iconic Christmas tree decorations, aren't there? There's candles and apples and tinsel. Does anyone put tinsel on their tree? 
Not as popular in this part of the world, but tinsel is a classic, iconic Christmas decoration. Lots of Christmas traditions have stories behind them, and tinsel has a story behind it. The earliest record that we have of tinsel comes from Germany, somewhere around 1610. Originally, tinsel was made out of real silver that had been kind of brought or uh, pulled into very thin little strips, and you would hang it on a Christmas tree in your house, and then you'd light the candles on the tree and watch the, the tinsel shimmer in the candlelight, while also hoping that your cottage doesn't burn down because you just started a bunch of small fires in a dead tree in your living room. So why did they do this? Like, why did they put tinsel on Christmas trees? Well, there are myths and legends surrounding all kinds of things like this and the reasoning for putting tinsel on your Christmas tree. And most of the myths and legends are Ukrainian or Germanic, but they all have one similarity, spiders. Bet you weren't expecting that. <laughs> we typically, typically associate spiders with Halloween, but spiders play a central role in the Germanic Christmas story. Hear about this one from Ukraine. There once was a widow who lived in a hut. Outside of her hut was this large pine tree, and one day a pine cone dropped to the ground, and it took root, and her, her children were excited that they would have a tree for Christmas, and all summer long they nurtured the tree, and they made plans about how they were going to decorate it. But alas, they were very poor, and they couldn't afford any Christmas decorations for their tree. So the widow and her children went to bed on Christmas Eve night without having decorated the tree. Well, early on Christmas morning, the woman was awakened by her children. Mother, mother, look at the tree. It's beautiful. And the mother woke up, and she saw that during the night, spiders had come and had spun webs all around the tree. Well, the youngest child opened the window and let the rays of sunlight in on, on Christmas Day. And as the rays of sun crept across the floor, it touched one of the threads of the spider web, and instantly it turned to silver. And from that day forward, the widow and her children didn't want for anything. And tinsel became a, a treasured ornament for Christmas trees all around that part of the world. In Ukraine and Germany, they'll actually put up spider webs and spider ornaments all over their Christmas trees. And in some of the stories, it's Father Christmas that does the, the transforming, or maybe it's the Christ child in some of the stories who changes the spider's silk into, into silver. But in all of these stories, there are spiders. And the transformation happens instantly overnight. And we love stories like this one, right? We, we love fairy stories and legends with magical transformation. We love the idea of instantly having everything that we've ever dreamed about. She puts on a little blush and suddenly she's the most popular girl in school. Someone sprinkles fairy dust and instantly they turn into a prince instead of a frog. This is the kind of transformation that we love, the instantaneous kind. And instantaneous transformation does get to happen in the Christian life. When we decide to follow Christ and put our trust in Christ, boom, instantly the old creature passes away and the new has come. Boom, we are instantly adopted into the family of God and given a new identity as children of God. Boom, instantly our sins are forgiven, our debt is paid, and Christ describes his standing before God to us. Boom, instantly our cobwebs are changed into silver. There are certainly parts of our Christian life that happen instantaneously, but that's not the kind of transformation and change that I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about another kind of change, a change that is less exciting for us. We don't like this kind of change that much. We don't like the kind of change for which we have to wait, the transformation 
that takes time. Because waiting is typically not something that we enjoy in our world. And still, waiting, waiting is an unavoidable part of the Christian life. And waiting is where we find Simeon in our passage this morning. So I invite you to open up with me to the Gospel of Luke, if you brought your Bibles to the passage that was read for us a few minutes ago. Last week, Pastor Ethan opened up our Advent sermon series with a sermon about waiting. And this week, we're going to continue our sermon series with a sermon about waiting. (laughs) We are anchoring our sermon series on a Christmas hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And that hymn is a song about waiting. It's a song about longing. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And this week the lyrics continue. O come, thou rod or root of Jesse, free. Free thine own from Satan's tyranny. It's another lyric about waiting. It's a a lyric about longing for something to come, about longing for freedom from sin and death and evil and shame all over our world. Now, I'll be honest, it does feel a little bit weird to do a sermon series, an entire sermon series about waiting, one sermon after another about the unknown. It's a whole sermon series about longing for something. It's a lot easier, and I get better feedback, when we do sermons about the happily ever after part of the story. The transformation part of the story. The the part of the story where we get to see what happens in the end. Where we get to see something transformed into silver. But the middle part, the waiting part, that's the harder part to talk about. Because we don't like that part. We don't like the middle part of the story. As a culture, we like the good part. The Christmas story, right? We celebrate that the Messiah has come, that the promise has been fulfilled, that Jesus has been born, and that is good and it's true, and we will celebrate that all throughout this season. Except Advent, Advent isn't just about the nativity part of the story, the part of the story with the starry, 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 silent night, the friendly ox, the twinkly-eyed shepherds, the baby who would rock the world. Advent, Advent is about waiting for that story to happen, for preparing for that story to happen. Pastor Jean touched on this a few minutes ago, but the word Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus, which simply means coming. Coming. It's about the thing that's on its way and not being quite sure when it is going to get here. Advent is a part after a prayer gets prayed, but before you have the answer. Advent is a part after the breakup, but before you've healed. Advent is the part after the diagnosis, but before the cure. And a lot of the Bible is written in the Advent part of the story. It's about people who are waiting for something to come, and it's written by people who are waiting for something to come, to people who are waiting for something to come. Abraham waiting on an heir, Isaac and Jacob waiting on the land that God promised, Joseph waiting in prison in Egypt, the the Hebrews waiting in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, Then they're waiting again in the the wilderness, wandering and wandering for 40 years. The tribes of Israel waiting for a king to bring stability to their land. David waiting for the throne in a cave, living like a fugitive. Nehemiah and Ezra waiting on the temple and the walls of their temple city to be rebuilt. A conquered people living dispersed throughout the surrounding nations, living as exiles. The entire Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi is the painstakingly slow movement of God to redeem the people from slavery 
from oppression, from themselves. So much in the Bible is about waiting for something else, which is why there are two most frequently asked questions in the Psalms. The first is, why? And the second is, how long? How long are we going to have to wait? How long is this going to take? How long are we supposed to put up with all of this? And so after years and years of waiting, Israel's prophets, they start to talk about a different day. They start to talk about a day when there would be no more waiting and they would see the promises of God fulfilled. The prophet Isaiah gets quoted a lot this season and he wrote things like, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah talks about a Messiah who is coming who would fulfill the promises of God. He said things like, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. A root of hope and change was going to come out of this family line, this line of Jesse, and it will bear fruit that the world had never seen before. And that promise, that promise, it gave the Israelites hope in their waiting. Hope for something different when everything seems to be taking so long. Hope. And when you think for a minute, what does hope mean to you? Like, what do you think about when you think of that word hope? If you were to imagine hope for a second, what do you hope for? I read an article a long time ago about how to talk to kids, because I don't have kids, so I have to read articles about how to talk to them. And one thing that it said is that it's really common for adults who are trying to make a connection with a kid to, to automatically comment on the kid's appearance. Like, oh, don't you look so pretty today? Or you look so cute in your little outfit. And it's well-meaning, but it starts to communicate over time to kids that the most important thing about them or the most noteworthy thing about them is how they look, their appearance. And so this article suggests that instead of first commenting on their appearance, try to comment about something that maybe they're interested in or ask them about their mind or about their feelings, how they feel about something. They suggested that one question you can ask the little kid is, if you haven't had a magic wand, what would you change about the world? If you had a magic wand, what would you hope for? And sometimes a kid might say, well, if I had a magic wand, then I think everyone should get a magical unicorn. And that would be fair. Everyone should have a magical unicorn. But sometimes their answers are a little bit more profound. If I had a magic wand, I would make sure that no one gets bullied in school. If I had a magic wand, I would make sure that everyone had lunch at school. I would stop all the wars in the world. And I think it's a good question. And I think it's a good question for adults, too. If you had a magic wand, what would you hope to be different? What would you change? What would you transform instantly from spider webs into silver? What would you make different? What, what do you long to be made right? There's this interesting thing in the Bible about the word hope, or how we translate the word hope. In the Old Testament, there were two main Hebrew words for hope that both get translated as hope. And the first one is yachal, yachal, which literally means to wait. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, Noah had to yachal, to wait for the floodwaters to recede for weeks. The second word for hope also means to wait. 
It's kava. It comes from the Hebrew, Hebrew word kav, which means cord, like a rope. And when you pull a kav tight, there's a tension until there is a release. That's kava. There's this feeling of tension and release while you wait for what you hope for. In the Old Testament, hope, it's not about some future optimism or, or future thing that you're thinking about. It's about waiting in expectation for the Lord to come. It's about the promise that something else is coming, something that, that maybe you haven't seen quite yet. And when you think about our world, all over our world, we have these reminders that things aren't as they should be. Racism, terrorism, mass shootings, mass incarceration, income inequality, the refugee crisis, broken families and broken homes. We know that there are spider webs that need to be transformed into silver. This last week, Pastor Ethan preached a, a sermon on waiting, like I mentioned, and we had so many people share with us that that sermon was so meaningful to them because they are in a season of waiting for something, waiting on a health diagnosis, waiting to work through a, a mental health struggle or a, a past trauma, getting tenure, finding a partner, having a baby, finding a job. As a world, we are waiting. And as a church, we are waiting. And in the Gospel of Luke, Simeon, Simeon was waiting. Simeon's whole people have been waiting. They've been waiting, waiting for God to keep God's promises, waiting for God to fulfill the prophecies. God had promised a king, a, a king in the line of King David, a king who would come and free Israel from its oppressors and rule over them in a different kind of a kingdom all through eternity. For hundreds of years, there had been no king like that for them to bring them to stability. Instead, they were ruled by foreign oppressors, by Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, now Rome. How long, oh God? And by the time we meet Simeon, a lot of people in Israel have stopped wondering when God would keep God's promises. And they started to wonder if God would keep God's promises. And some people had stopped waiting on God to act entirely. But not Simeon. By the time we meet Simeon, he was an old, old man. But this passage tells us that he was an old, old man who knew the Holy Spirit and who relied on the Holy Spirit and who was led by the Holy Spirit. He was in waiting, but he knew who to put his hope in, his kavah in. Simeon clung to the promise that God had given him that Simeon would see God's Messiah before he died. Let's look at the story, Luke 2. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. So he's in waiting, but for Simeon, it's not a matter of if God is going to act, but when God is going to act. And there's an important distinction in the if waiting and the when waiting. If waiting produces stress and anxiety. Is God going to change my life? Is God going to save me? Is God going to heal me? But when waiting, when waiting takes deep breaths, and it remembers the time that God has been faithful in the past. If waiting isn't sure that God is going to keep God's promises, but when waiting means knowing that God is going to act because God has acted already, and God is going to do it in God's own time. My friend Adele Calhoun wrote a beautiful book called Invitations from God, and she spends an entire chapter talking about waiting. She writes this, Waiting for God's promises is not an act of passive resignation. It is not fatalistic, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Waiting on God demands alertness to the present moment. It is an active stance of watchfulness. A waiting for 
uh, waiting for when, not if, God will come through. Now, on the surface, it can seem like waiting is a passive activity. It, it means doing nothing and accomplishing nothing. But when waiting, when waiting is active, it is rooted in the expectancy that God will come through. But there's something else important about this distinction. It's an important distinction between waiting with expectancy and waiting with expectations, right? God tells us to bring our desires to God, so we should never shy away of asking God boldly for the things that we hope for in this life. But when our desires become demands of God, suddenly we take God off the throne and we put ourselves there. We expect God to act in a certain way, and that way happens to be our way. We expect God to act on a certain schedule, and that schedule happens to be our schedule. We expect that God will answer God's promises, but the promises that we have in mind are really our own expectations of life. And the hard truth is that God hasn't promised to give us everything we want in this life. We might not get that particular thing that we're waiting for, but God has promised to transform us and heal us, and that one day everything will be made right the danger of having expectations of God that go beyond these promises is that we could potentially be closing ourselves off to the hope and healing that we find when we rely on God. But waiting expectancy, it, it opens us up to or waiting expectantly opens us up to possibilities that we might not have imagined or dreamed about yet. And it's in that expectant when waiting place that Simeon gets to meet Jesus. So last week we met a pregnant Mary and she's processing her virgin pregnancy with her cousin Elizabeth who is processing her own pregnancy in elder years. And in our story this morning, Mary has already given birth to Jesus. And I know we're jumping ahead a little bit in the narrative since we don't usually talk about the birth of Jesus until Christmas Eve. But this is such an important story that we wanted to include it in our Advent series. So back then, when a woman would give birth, there were legal requirements, legal things that the family had to do required by law, Jewish law of that time. The law required that the firstborn male of any family, whether they were human or animal, be dedicated in the temple to the Lord. They had to bring a sacrifice. And Mary and Joseph are obedient. They're, they're following the law. They brought Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And the Holy Spirit prompts this old, old man, Simeon, to go and meet them there in the temple. And he goes there. And he meets Mary and Joseph, and he sees this tiny baby Jesus who's still in diapers. And he knows exactly who this is. This, this is the one we've been waiting for. And he says, can I hold him? Mary and Joseph say yes. And Simeon takes Jesus in his arms. He holds God in his arms. Can you imagine? Think about that for a second. A lot of weeks, last week we sang a, a song, an Advent song called Who Would Have Dreamed? And the lyrics are, who would have dreamed or ever perceived that we could hold God in our hands? The giver of life was born in the night, revealing God's glorious plan to save the world. Simeon. Simeon was one of those rare people who have walked the earth who literally held God in his hands. Now, we don't know a lot about Simeon. The Bible doesn't record a lot of details about him. We don't know if he was a priest or a religious leader of any kind. We don't know if he was anything but an ordinary guy. We're mostly just told that he had been waiting on God to act, and he followed the lead of the Holy Spirit, and he got to hold God in his arms. Now, imagine that for a second. Imagine holding a baby who's just a month or two old, knowing that this is the creator of the world. Simeon knew. And he says, 
Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of all your people, Israel. Now, we don't know exactly how long Simeon had been waiting to see this Messiah, but as soon as he takes Jesus in, the Lord, in, in his arms, he says, Thank you, Lord, now I can die. That's all I needed in this life, to meet Christ. That was all he needed. So a few thoughts. In my work as a pastor, I have the incredible privilege of being with people up close in some of life's most personal and intimate moments. Right after they've had a baby, as they're getting married, as they're getting healed, and as they're dying. A few months ago, I was in the hospital with a family who was saying goodbye to their father and husband and grandfather. It was a holy moment. They told him that they loved him. They told him that, he was gonna, that they were going to be okay. And then they gave him permission to die. He'd been holding on for weeks, but just a few hours after they gave him permission, he'd passed away. And that happens a lot, actually. Sometimes people need permission from their loved ones to move on. It's why a lot of people pass away around the holidays. They're waiting for just one more special memory with their loved ones. And once they have that, they feel free to let go. Simeon wasn't going to die until he saw the one thing that he had been waiting for, the Messiah in person, Emmanuel, God with us. And when he met Jesus in the flesh, that was it. That gave him permission. He had seen all that he needed. Now, we don't know what happened after that with Simeon, how much longer he waited before he passed away. But when we read the words of Simeon, we read words of hope. Hope realized and a hope foreseen. Hope for today and a hope for eternity. Hope for Simeon, hope for the world. Hope for me and hope for you. Hope. The poet Carl Sandburg said it like this. A baby is God's opinion that the world should go on. Jesus was God's opinion that the world should go on, but not just God's opinion, God's intention. And not just that the world would go on as it is now, but would go on to healing into eternity. Jesus is God's intention that the world would be made right. Simeon needed to see it. And he holds his hope in his arms literally, and then presumably he's ready to die. And here's the thing. That is the thing that I think is most interesting in this story. Simeon doesn't ever live to see the outcome of Jesus' story. He doesn't see Jesus grow up. He doesn't see Jesus heal the sick. He doesn't hear Jesus preach good news. He doesn't see Jesus cry, die on the cross or be raised from the dead. He doesn't see any of that. He gets a taste of what's to come in this little baby in his arms. This little kid who is fully complete and yet still had so much more to do. For the next 33 years and beyond it, this little baby Jesus would offer hope to the world and ultimately to us. Jesus would travel throughout the region of Galilee. He would teach in synagogues and he would preach good news to the poor. And he would go on to heal every kind of disease and every kind of illness. There's even one story about a lady who just touched the robe of his garment and she was healed. Jesus healed humans like us, humans who were waiting and waiting and maybe who had given up hope of ever being made whole. And Jesus gave them hope and healing and he made them whole. But Simeon, he doesn't get to see that story play out. Where did Simeon see God's salvation? Not in a set of rules or religious obligations, but in this baby in this person of Jesus. Now, when we think of the word salvation, and sometimes when we define it to other people, we often think of the cross and the empty tomb. 
And salvation does include the cross and the empty tomb. But Simeon has just seen a baby. And before any of that, and in the person of Jesus, he experiences God's salvation before any of that other story unfolds. The biblical word for salvation is connected with the word healing. Healing of the whole person, healing of our physical bodies, our mental health, our emotional health, our trauma, our pain. Healing for our community, for our families, our marriages, our relationships. Healing for the world, healing for systems and institutions that are broken and hurting, that oppress others. Healing for war-torn countries. When we meet Jesus in this story and in our stories, we are promised healing right at the outset. Healing that starts now. And because of the cross and the empty tomb, it is healing that goes on into eternity. And still, the fullness of that healing is not always something we get to experience in this life. We just see a taste of it the moment that we meet Jesus. That one day all will be made right, even if all we get to hold right now is that taste of what is to come. Simon doesn't end his monologue with, okay, I'm ready to die now. He looks at Mary and he says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Essentially, he's, he's saying everything, everything that we've been waiting for is right here in this little person, this complete little person who's still in diapers. But the transformation will be hard and it will take time. The story is just starting here. Simeon thanked God, not because the redemption he longed for was complete, but because he knows that in Jesus, it has begun. Lots of people wondered if God would really uh, provide a savior like God promised. But seeing baby Jesus assured them that God keeps every promise, even when that seems impossible. They knew now that they weren't waiting in vain. Now, some of us, we are in a season of waiting for something. We're waiting for God to act in our lives. We're waiting for the fulfillment of some promise. And it's not coming, it's not coming, it's not coming. And then we get something small. We get a taste a reminder, a story, a cord to put our hope onto. Could that taste be enough for right now? I asked some people that question this week. You know, lots of us in the global church are in a waiting season after the last few years. The, the last few years have been hard on a lot of people's faith. And I hear from a lot of people that their faith is just hanging on by a thread these days. And so this week, I asked a few people, so what is that thread for you? What is keeping you tethered to Christ as you wait? A few things I heard just this week. Some, somebody said, being in community. I found a few Christian women who have become family to me when I needed a mom. Someone else said, in the past, God has given me the strength to face my porn addiction. Someone else said, their alcohol addiction. They knew that they couldn't keep going without that strength, so they're holding on. Someone else said, God has moved me out of a life of incarceration and homelessness into a hope and a healing for my future. Someone else said, God has been teaching me how to take the corset off and finally live free as I am. One other person said, I keep coming back because even when I have a hard time believing, I still believe that following Christ is the best way to live. Here's the thing. We often think of hope as some kind of optimism about the future. But hope isn't rooted in the future. Hope is grounded in the past. It's why God is consistently reminding people of their shared story 
and reminding Simeon of what God has already done so they can wait confidently in expectation, remembering that God will act because God has already acted. So what about you this morning? What is that thread that keeps you connected in your moments of waiting? What part of the story keeps you coming back? Who or what reminds you of the promises when you're tempted to give up hope? In a minute, I'm going to invite the band to come forward. I'm going to close with a blessing that I've shared before. I actually shared it a few minutes ago by a French priest named Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. As I'm reading it, I want you to, to consider that question. What tethers you? What grounds you? What thread keeps you connected to Christ in the midst of your waiting? So as I'm reading, the band can come up. Listen to what Chardin writes. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what grace will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. Amen.